0: morning everyone thank you so much Gordon for leading us this morning and for leading us in that intercessory prayer as Gordon said at the very beginning this is the fourth Sunday of of Advent and so the anticipating and the waiting is nearly over at least it is in terms of the the first Advent and we're almost there just three days to go until we celebrate the birth of Jesus but the anticipation and the wait for the second Advent continues. Although that could happen before Wednesday, which is an interesting thought. And so far during this uh, series, we've read three different Bible texts from Matthew's Gospel, three slightly unusual Christmas readings. So we've read one about the future certainty of the second coming of Jesus and the importance of being ready for the second Advent and also for the importance of, to, of living faithful and wise lives in light of the future, certainty of that event. And then we have had two readings about John the Baptist, the often forgotten Christmas character, who prepared the way for Jesus, and he came calling and bringing the same message that actually Jesus came calling, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. And then last week we heard how subsequently John the Baptist had questions. He had questions about Jesus and he had questions for Jesus. And so he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the one who is to come or should we be expecting someone else? Because Jesus didn't and doesn't always meet our expectations. But in response to John's honest and very reasonable question, Jesus invites John's disciples to report back to him what they hear, and what they see Jesus doing. How he's transforming people's lives, how he's opening ears and opening eyes. He's cleansing, he's healing, he's restoring life, he's proclaiming good news. In other words, Jesus is doing exactly what he came to do, doing exactly what he was sent to do, what the Old Testament prophets predicted he would do. And therefore, Jesus says, I am the one. I am the one. And anyone like John who doesn't stumble, who doesn't fall away, who doesn't take offense because of me, is truly blessed. So that's what we were looking at last couple of weeks. Uh, Today, we're gonna go right back to the beginning of Matthew chapter one. Back to the beginning of the Christmas story in the first gospel. And so we're leaving John the Baptist for now. But before I do that, I did throw out that challenge to include or insert a John the Baptist figure in your nativity scene. That's those of you who have one. I realize not everybody has one, and I also realize not everybody wants to have one, as somebody reminded me last week, rather directly. Anyway, uh, last, (laughs) last week I showed you a picture of one family's amended nativity, and I threw it out there to say, can anyone guess whose nativity scene that was? And I've had a number of responses back, uh, nobody got it right, the answer was uh, Camilla and Yarrow, okay, it was their nativity scene, but here I got sent two more during the week, I got actually sent one in the early hours of this morning, but I kinda, it kind of missed the cut uh, for being shown this morning, but anyway, uh, let, me, let me show you the first one, and again, prizes are available if you can guess who these belong to. But in this one here, they have depicted John the Baptist as a baby, as an infant. Because you see, if Jesus is a baby in our nativity scenes, then because John the Baptist was only six or eight months older than Jesus, he should be displayed as a baby. So full marks to this person for historical accuracy, okay? I like like the fact that they've included a bottle of honey-flavored milk because he hasn't moved on to the solids of locusts as yet. (laughs) But this next one I'm gonna show you, you need to prepare yourself. (laughs) This next one I'm gonna shoot. Now, I know I did say that John the Baptist wore a tunic of camel hair, and therefore he could be described as a pretty hairy individual. Plus, I know that he was a larger-than-life character, but this depiction, this John the Baptist figure takes things to a whole other level, literally. Okay, love it. Absolutely love it. So keep them coming. I'm really enjoying receiving them. It's great. Okay, back to reality. Back to the beginning. Please turn with me to Matthew 1. And we're going to read from verses 18 to 25, which come immediately after the family tree of Jesus. And if you were here with us last year during Advent, you know that we spent a number of weeks looking at the family tree of Jesus. But these last eight verses in Matthew 1, after the genealogy, They're very familiar verses, and and the danger this morning is they're over-familiar, and I have no doubt we have heard them countless times, maybe even heard them a lot in this last week or two as we have gone to different carol services or whatever, we may hear it tonight as well. And so can I encourage you to approach these eight verses this morning with fresh eyes and ears, with open hearts and minds, and as we always do, let's stand for the public reading of God's written and living word. So this Says Matthew is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law in some of the translations, or was a righteous man, and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. What the Lord had said through the prophet that the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Well, when Joseph awoke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and he took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. Please uh, take your seat. Names. Names in the Bible, and, and we, all, we all know this, names in the Bible are so important. They say a lot, they communicate a lot. And in these, two, in these verses, we discover two names for the Messiah. Two names for the Messiah, which, which do communicate vast amounts of information and, and kind of truth. And one of those names is unique. It's unique to Matthew's telling of the story. One of the names that we just read doesn't appear anywhere else in the New Testament. Which is interesting. And I actually think slightly intriguing. The other name of the Messiah appears all the time in the New Testament. Throughout the Gospels. And in fact, although we find this strange, this is a name, the other name, for—that that is still in use Today particularly in kind of Southern American, Spanish-speaking countries. Rarely in Europe, rarely in North America is anyone called by this name. And when you see it on the back of, say, football shirts, for example, it stands out. It seems unusual to us. Now, although there are only eight verses, there's a lot going on in that text. It's a short text, but it contains major moments in the big story, the unfolding story, God's great story. And so what I want to do is just take a few moments to kind of walk us through this text. So it begins with this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. Now, the genealogy started with this is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, son off, son off, son off, son off. And then we get at and Matthew says, well, this now is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. Which is a relatively simple enough introduction, but virtually every detail that follows that is anything but simple. It's extraordinary. This becomes a narrative of surprising and arresting and unexpected events, which suggests a God of surprising and arresting and unexpected activity. Well, it turns out that the Messiah has a mother called Mary. But she's not married yet. She's pledged to be married. She's betrothed to be married to a man called Joseph. And that's the way it worked back then in that place, in that culture. Couples were, if you like, engaged, yes. But their engagement was a legally binding arrangement. The deal had been done. And so the next sentence... Before, but before they came together means exactly what we think it means. They hadn't consummated their marriage. No sexual union had taken place. So Mary was still a virgin. And so the next sentence that you read changes everything. Shocking sentence. She was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. So what is revealed here is a miraculous conception and not anything more crass as some people have tried to imply. Now at this point in the story, for a number of people, they bail out. A number in our culture and down through the years, at this point in the story, they bail out. They bail out on Jesus they bail out on the Christian faith because now we're into the realms of the supernatural. And if you don't believe in the supernatural, which many people don't when it comes to God and faith, if you don't believe in the supernatural, if you don't believe in a miraculous God, then you're effectively beat at this kind of juncture in the story. Although, if you're unwilling to accept the supernatural, you'll have kind of checked out of the Biblical story and the idea of a Biblical God long ago. But anyway, Mary is miraculously, supernaturally pregnant. But here's the thing, Joseph knows, which is a major dilemma. I mean, Mary may forever be described as blessed amongst women but as William Willimon says at this point, Joseph could forever be described as embarrassed amongst men. You see, right at this moment, there's only one explanation for Mary's pregnancy. Only one. She's been unfaithful. And as far as Joseph and everyone else was concerned, that was the only answer or reason for the fact that Mary is pregnant she has been unfaithful and that was serious and the reason that was serious and, and Joseph would have been aware of this because it says as it says he was faithful to the law Joseph would have been aware of this it was so serious because it meant that a law had been broken And therefore, Mary was now subject to ridicule, she was subject to shame, and she was actually subject to potential punishment. Strictly speaking, she could have been stoned because for committing adultery, those were the consequences. She had entered into that legally binding agreement or contract whenever she got, as we would say, engaged, whenever she was pledged to be married. Therefore, the fact she's now pregnant means she's in huge trouble. So what's Joseph going to do? Well, at, at this point, we get our first major insight into the true character of the man. Because Joseph chooses and this was a choice he's made Joseph chooses to salvage something of his fiance's reputation by divorcing her on the QT. I mean, the relationship's over. The divorce is now inevitable. But rather than publicly humiliate her, it says he had a mind to divorce Mary quietly. In other words, he was going to undo the betrothal contract. Joseph planned what he felt was the best possible solution to the worst possible situation. And so clearly here was a man who was willing to set aside his dented pride and his wounded manhood for the sake of another. So, fair play, Joseph. You're no embarrassment. Because, you see, pride and ego are not easily set aside by most men. Now, although that was Joseph's intention, this low-key divorce, the text actually, actually says that as he considered it further, in other words, he was mulling this over, then we read God intervenes again. And therefore, you can only expect everything's going to change again, and it does. So it says Joseph falls into a dream, and then his dream, an angel turns up with a life-altering message for Joseph. And so the angel addresses him by his name, and he says, Joseph. But then he adds something else. Joseph, son of David. Hang on a minute, this, this connects Joseph with the genealogy at the start of Matthew 1, because how does that start? This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham, the son of the son of the son of the son of. And then look at verse 16. What does it say? And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. So, so Joseph's in on this. And by referring, to, by the angel calling him Joseph, son of David, Joseph now knows he's in on this this is a significant message he's about to receive. And so then the angel comes out with a phrase that angels have a habit of using. Don't be afraid. Which in itself must have been comforting, but it's the next bit which explains why Joseph needed to hear the first bit. What am I not to be afraid of? Now imagine this. You're in a dream. The angel has called you Joseph, son of David. He's then said to you, do not be afraid. And you're thinking, well, I kind of wasn't, but what, what should I not be afraid of? And then this is what the angel says. Do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. I want you to imagine... How Joseph is processing this. So let me get this right. He says, Don't divorce Mary, publicly or quietly. Take her as my wife. And that's the explanation for her pregnancy. I mean, Joseph's head must have been spinning. And so the angel goes on. She will give birth to a son. So it's a boy. And you're to give him the name Jesus. Because he will save his people from their sins. It's a boy. Here's his name. Here's his mission. Jesus is the Greek form, as we know, of Joshua, which means the Lord Yahweh saves. And so what Joseph is hearing is that salvation is embedded in human form. And salvation is embedded in the womb of Mary. This love child conceived out of wedlock. And that actually is a great description of Jesus when you think about it. A love child. But he has a love child conceived out of wedlock. But this boy's name, Jesus, means that he is going to save his people from the greatest enemy, one of the greatest enemies of all mankind, from sins. He's going to rescue people. Now, how that happens, how that plays out, we have no idea at this point in the story. But he is going to rescue your boy that is in Mary grown He is going to rescue His people from their sins. From the very thing that has dismantled people's relationship with Almighty God from the very beginning of time. He's going to deal with those things. He is going to deal with those things that have have created relational dysfunction and disharmony between the created and the creator. That's what this boy is going to come to do. He's going to be some kid. It's going to be some, you can only again imagine, how is Joseph processing this information? Now at this point, I think we miss this. But at this point, Matthew, who's narrating the story, interjects something. He kind of presses pause on telling the story. And he takes all his readers back in time. Verse 22. He highlights the fact that the Old Testament prophet Isaiah said this would happen. That a virgin would conceive and would give birth to a son and they will call him Jesus. No. No, they won't. They won't call him that. They'll call him a different name different name from the one the angel has just confirmed. And that name is Emmanuel, which also has a meaning. His other name has a meaning. This one has a meaning. God with us. Now, nowhere else in the Gospels is Jesus referred to or as Emmanuel. But it doesn't matter. That is still his name. It's one of them. And because names are so important, what it does reveal and what it communicates is that when Jesus entered our world, God entered our world in person. Jesus is fully human. And so he's a fetus growing in a womb of a young woman, and he will be born, and he will grow up, and he will live in this world. But he's also, and this is the bit of closure, he is also fully God. He is God with us, fully divine, Emmanuel. I have no idea. And I'm not even sure Joseph heard this because as I say, this was interjected by by Matthew as he tells the story. I have no idea how any of us process this. As Paul put it when he was writing to another group of Christians later on in the New Testament, he said this, for in Christ, for in Jesus, for in the Anointed One, for in the Messiah lives all the fullness of God in a human body. Not partially with us with us totally with us now is there a sense of mystery here yes absolutely there is but are we not already into the realm of mystery with the idea of a virgin becoming pregnant via the Holy Spirit and so his name will be called Jesus and his name will be called Emmanuel but these names are intimately and intricately connected Because Jesus means that Yahweh, that God saves. And because, and this is the bit, because God is with us in Jesus, it means that God can save us through Jesus. Critical. Because God is with us in Jesus, God can save us through Jesus. Because if God is not bound up with this person, then God remains aloof from the misery and the mess of our sins from which we need rescuing. And so Jesus can save, will save, does save. Why? Because God is with us in Jesus. And because Jesus said, that he will be with us to the very end of the age. I mean, whenever Jesus left this earth and returned home to be with his father, this was one of the last things he said, and I will be with you to the very end of the age. Well, what that means is that God is totally with us right now because of Jesus, because of Christmas, and that is incredible, that is shocking. And in fact, that is a scandal, as someone has said, Because in these verses, the scandal is not a scandal of immorality, as some have assumed, given what happened to Mary. But the scandal of Matthew 1, the real scandal of Christmas, is that God is with us. God is now here, as opposed to nowhere. And that space makes all the difference. Jesus is Emmanuel God with us. And if we forget this, if we miss this, we miss out on a central aspect of the season and everything that flows from it. As someone else has written, and I love this, if we could condense all the truths of Christmas into three words only, these would be the words, God with us. You are to give him the name Jesus. And, says Matthew, they will call him Emmanuel. Well, back to the text. Because as Matthew returns to the story, look at this with me in verse 24. And earlier I said that we have already gained a kind of insight into Joseph's character in the way that he initially reacted to the shocking news that his wife is pregnant. Well, and what happens next now from verse 24 on, as Joseph awakens from his dream, we discover further evidence of his character we discover further evidence of his righteous character. We discover further evidence that this is a faithful man of God who's committed to God. Because from the moment he opens his eyes, from the moment his feet hit the floor, he does exactly what he's told to do. And so we read, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him. And he took Mary home as his wife, but he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. You see, Joseph assumes a position of humble, obedient surrender. Even though he was going to be misunderstood, he was going to be ridiculed, he was going to be laughed at, most people would have thought, you've just lost the plot, Joseph. But for Joseph, he wanted to do the right thing. He wanted to do what God had instructed him to do via his word. And so to to some, Joseph may be an embarrassment amongst men, but according to the gospel story, according to the good news, Joseph is powerfully and personally used by God in shaping his story and in shaping our story. And so we thank God for Joseph. And so what's the takeaway this morning as we have reflected on these eight verses? Well, with three days to go, and as we continue to wait, and as we continue to prepare ourselves to celebrate the first Advent and to get ready for the second, may we give thanks for Jesus, the miraculous with us God who saves us from our sins. That's what this season is all about. Thank you for Jesus, the miraculous with us God who saves us from our sins, which is the reason we sit around this table week after week after week. But also, let us thank God for men like Joseph, men of integrity, men who did the right thing in difficult situations, men who took risks for God and for good men who were obedient to God's surprising word. Thank God for Joseph, who played such a vital part in God's story and our salvation.